When you think about ESG and you do it as a part of your business strategy, it is actually predictive of market performance. So it does improve your bottom line. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again, my friends. We are the voice of the most important and crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact as we see the convergence of business, technology, and people unlike any other time today. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our new partner, Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. You'll hear more about them shortly. Over my career, I've participated in dozens, maybe even hundreds of strategic planning sessions. And if you ask most business leaders and workers just a few years ago, what came to mind when they heard the future of work? It was usually technology, robots, automation. More recently, we heard a lot about remote work, but ask that same question today and you'll likely hear the same thing plus something relatively new, ESG. Now for many of you, that's just one more new acronym, but we're gonna be talking about ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance. For some of you, this may be the first time you've heard about it. For others, you've dabbled in it, you talked about doing it, your company's giving it some lip service, but wherever you are in the future of work journey, you're in the right place today because we have as our guest, Dora Lutz. She's the author of The Aspirational Business and creator of a course, Business Planning for Social Entrepreneurs at Purdue University. From her early days managing trucks, and we gotta talk about that one, that's almost the, kind of fits into my world of how did you go from dentistry to this business? From managing truck drivers to her current career, Dora's devoted her, her lifetime to understanding the unique ways businesses can make a positive impact on society and helping leaders accomplish their biggest goals. She's even worked with the United Nations Impact 2030 program. So ESG is such a critical strategy for any business looking to grow and even survive today. But what is it? How does it relate to top line growth and bottom line profits? Is it just a good thing to do or does it actually help you in business? Which companies are doing it right? What's the impact? We're gonna talk about all those things in just a few minutes when Dora joins us. But first, it's time for our Perfect Labor Storm segment, where on each episode, we focus on just one disruptive, surprising or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. By 2029, the millennial and Gen Z generations will make up 72% of all the world's workforce. That's almost three out of four, compared to just 52% four years ago. These generations place a greater importance on environmental and social concerns than, than any previous generation, and will expect more from employers to do so. That comes from Mercer. The statistics come from Mercer. And when companies are looking at how to recruit and retain workers, ESG is certainly one way. 
A Marsh McLennan study found that the top employers, as measured by employee satisfaction and attractiveness to talent, meaning can you attract the good talent, have significantly higher ESG scores than their peers. This is important because satisfied employees work harder, stay longer, and seek better results. Employees at companies with generous and lasting corporate social efforts during the pandemic were 15.6 times, that's a lot, 15, 15 can't even say it, 15.6 times more likely to say their companies were a great place to work. And 61% of 25 to 34 year olds, basically younger millennials, older Gen Z, highlighted sustainability as a key consideration in where they chose to work. And this, this fits our world, Jason, improving EX as a top, is a top priority, and we know that. According to the WTW 2021 Employee Experience Survey, 92% of organizations expect to prioritize EX enhancements over the next three years. That's good news. But when asked, and this is the problem, Few have an integrated EX and business strategy or talent priority program in place that support their ESG business objectives. So it's a, it, they checked off the box, but haven't figured out how to do it. So Ira, we are obviously asking some pretty foundational questions today about why businesses even exist. And it's giving me flashbacks to the 1987 movie, Wall Street. And you were talking about millennials earlier. I'm in that micro generation called the Zennials. So I'm a really young Gen Xer and a really old millennial. And so this movie came out when I was eight years old. Uh, and Michael Douglas played the part of ruthless investor Gordon Gecko. And just here, here's a short quote, the most famous one probably from the movie um, that he had. He said, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed, in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Well, I may join with the rest of my Zennials and Gen Zs in saying, yuck. I, like most of them, feel like I almost need a shower after hearing that. Great movie, but as we know now, that is a completely unsustainable business model. More than 5,000 businesses today have made net zero commitments as part of the United Nations Race to Zero campaign. Workers are also increasingly prioritizing factors such as belonging and inclusion, finding meaning and purpose in their work, discovering work-life integration, employee recognition, and wanting autonomy and working from home. And all of these things are part of that employee experience. And as we discuss on this show every week, change is a pervasive and constant thing in life. And just this week, Stanford University announced that they have more students enrolled in crypto courses than introduction to computer science. So everything around us is evolving and changing. And this goes for business and economics as well. We're now in the age of business being a sustainable source of positive change in the world that delivers value for all stakeholders, and there's no going back. So I am beyond the moon excited that we get to chat with an ESG expert, Dora Lutz, on this topic today. And before we bring Dora on, just a quick, quick reminder. 
We are SHRM certified. So if you are part of Googleization Nation and listening to the podcast, all you need to do is go up to googleizationnation.com, click on podcast. There's a short form that you need to fill out uh, to verify that you listen to the show, a couple of talking points you might've learned. And in return, we will send you the activity code to earn SHRM credits. And depending on the episode or how many you listen to, you can earn anywhere up uh, minimum is a half uh, to a full credit or more if, if you're a regular listener. Uh, while you're listening to any of the podcasts, I, we hope that you'll rate and review them. We have uh, actually, we've done pretty well over the last few months, Jason. We now have a couple hundred reviews. We're still hanging out at that top 5.0 and we're ranked in the top 1%. So we want to thank Googleization Nation and all our geek skeezers and Googleization listeners uh, for helping us go to the top of the charts. And so without further ado, Ira, I think this is a great time that we bring on Dora Lutz so we can pick her brain on everything ESG today. Dora, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. That was uh, that was the best intro to any conversation I have ever had. I, you're right, Ira. I have, I have so many notes and you picked out great snippets of content and Jason I'm a Zennial too so I am I'm really excited for this conversation I thought you'd like hearing a little bit of a reference to Gordon Gecko there Dora <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah so let's start off a little bit about about you and your story and your journey of um, kind of how you got into this world of ESG becoming an expert in it and then we'll kind of segue into what is it and help our under our help our listeners understand what it is yeah, perfect. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today. I think my story is probably not unlike a lot of people who were children of the 90s, who bridged that gap between uh, this millennial sense of hope and opportunity that we could change the world and do good work in it, and sort of this Gen X uh, angst right, that that sort of pervaded our culture. I I was joking the other day that I got my first email address nine months before Y2K. So here I was going to be able to email anybody I wanted, but you know we might not we might not live into the next century. So just understanding all of those uh, pieces as as cultural forces in my life. And I actually uh, did what many kids in the 90s who wanted to make the world a better place and had no idea how they were going to do that. I, I did what they did, and I declared English as a major, uh, but was still able to get a job. Thank you. Thank you, economy. And so I read your question earlier. My, my first job out of school was a trucking company. Uh, because it said the thing most team leaders talk about is the ability to make a difference in the lives of others. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do that. And it was a great job for me. I made sure that my drivers had good time at home. I made sure that they operated safely, that we were being good stewards in our communities. I, I really loved it um, until I had my first performance appraisal. And then I found out that I was actually supposed to be making money for the company too. And that sort of threw me into a tailspin of trying to figure out how I was going to be able to do both. And uh, now here we are 20, 25 years later, uh, but at least I finally know now exactly how we can do that. And, uh, and I feel empowered that there are an army of people who also want to see businesses doing good work in the world. I love that. And, and as Ira opened up with, like many of our listeners, this may be the first time today that they're hearing this new acronym, ESG. It's not MSG. It's not that preservative that's in your Chinese food. We're talking ESG today. 
So can you tell us a little bit of what environmental social governance ESG actually is in business? Yeah. So ESG, although it's new to a lot of people, has has actually been around for many years in a variety of different contexts and different terminology. But at its at its most foundational, ESG is a framework for businesses to be thinking about their ecosystem. So all of the stakeholders that they impact and what this looks like in their impact on the environment in the communities in which they operate and internally focus on the ethics and the processes that they have for the long term. So it's so it sounds like it's a long term view of not just trying to make money like Gordon Gecko is talking about. It's not just about greed. It's about there is this healthy balance of being able to have a profitable business, but you're also able to have a great impact in the world, too. That's exactly right, because we're our businesses are actually operating in an ecosystem. We are not, as business leaders, operating outside of our employee base or our consumer base or our communities. We are a part of it. So it makes sense that when we consider their needs as a long-term strategy, we're going to be able to increase our opportunities for revenue. We're going to be able to decrease our costs and ultimately become more profitable in the process. Are there a lot of companies that are embracing this or is this still something that a lot of businesses are saying, no, we're not into the the kumbaya type of stuff that they may portray it as? Where are we at in terms of how most businesses are viewing this? Yeah, you know, we are really at a tipping point. Uh, 97% of publicly traded companies now have some form of ESG report. So we are seeing that this demand from uh, from employees and customers, but also from investors to be thinking about this as a risk management strategy is coming to the table. So CEOs know that this is something that they need to be paying attention to. They are beginning to create reports uh, of varying success. You know, they may use different standards or have different levels of data, but they have something out there. Now what I've been seeing, and I'm, seeing it a lot, is that the expectations for data, the information that these publicly traded companies want is trickling down to smaller and medium-sized businesses because now it's becoming a, a, um, a criteria in procurement. Procurement managers are looking at this right up there with cost and cost and value of the product. They're looking at ESG and social impact factors. And so you mentioned some of the, the reports or the metrics. Can you share a few of those? Uh, yes. So the easiest thing to do is look at, um, uh, you can actually go to your favorite company and Google ESG report and you can download it and see. Some of them are 100 pages. So I don't normally recommend that everybody everybody else reads 100 pages unless they really want to geek out on it like me. But where these things get really interesting is you can read the letter from the CEO, the letter to shareholders, and you can see the kinds of things that they're talking about and how this work fits into their existing strategies. Then you can see stories of how they're engaging in the community, what they're doing for uh, waste emissions or energy efficiency. And then you get down to a really nice uh, depending on your per perspective of Excel spreadsheets, a really nice document that talks about all of the standards, all of the different things that a company could be looking at uh, and how they are actually addressing these issues. Let me address a little bit of the elephant in the room, I guess. 
We are pretty divided. And, you know, one of the things when we talk about environmental, obviously it's about climate change. Uh, you know, our, our best wishes go out to everybody in Florida today. Um, and, and, and again, who, who knows next week where the next uh, change will hit. But as, as we address that, there is such a division that, uh, as you were talking just a, a minute or so ago, it sounds like this is, it's really good for marketing. It's really good for branding. It's really good for the image. It could be in good, a good, it could be good to not only attract employers, but investors mm -hmm. to the company. So there's, there's a group that puts this as a high priority, but our country is so divided. I'm sure there's a whole group that doesn't, uh, they don't believe in climate change. They already, they're all, they're concerned with, Hey, we're going to pay our people more money uh, so they can put up with this. We don't have it. We, we gave all the money to wages. We don't have any money left over to get back to the community. Are mm -hmm. there's, I'm sure there's enough business to go around that you can just say, we're going to work with the companies who want to go forward. Um, but have you worked with, or, or how could you persuade some of these naysayers and transient companies to say, Hey, here's our future. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah, you know, that's it's such an interesting question. And I was I was listening to a panel yesterday where they were talking about this as a a very divisive concept, right? ESG has become a they were calling it a political football. And it's it's hard to argue. I've certainly seen an increase in the emails and, and messages that I get with people who disagree with the fundamental theory behind ESG or, you know, I'll uh, think it's woke. BS, you know, however, however people want to refer to it. Uh, but in my mind, there are a few reasons that it is actually a business strategy, true and proper. Uh, really, if we look at ESG, we take it out of the political realm, it provides us an opportunity to think about what markets are underserved and need our product or service. And it helps us innovate to think about how we can access and provide something of value to those companies. Um, it allows us, to your point, to attract and retain our employees um, if they align with us. And, you know, if, if you don't believe in climate change, you probably want to attract employees who have similar beliefs, right? Or you may have a cultural mismatch. So that may not be a fit for everybody. Uh, but if you do, whatever you believe, you want to be able to tell your employees about that so they can engage with your, with your customer base. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, it's an it's an opportunity. I can I can show people spreadsheets all day long that show that when you think about ESG and you do it as a part of your business strategy, it is actually predictive of market performance. So it does improve your bottom line. Um, and you know, I, you're right. At some point, is this for everybody? Maybe not, but it but it is an opportunity for everybody whether or not they want to pursue it or not. You can you can lead the horse to water. You can't make him drink, right? <laughs> no, I've tried for a long time. Uh, I've tried, and um, you know, there's so much opportunity in the world and so much need that we as businesses can solve, and we're already positioned to create value. Um, I I like many people want to use my time in the most impactful manner I can. What you just shared there makes me think of a report that just came out from McKinsey and Company, their quarterly report in August of 2022, and it actually was on ESG. Um, and one of the, the things that came out of that report that I found fascinating, and I'd love to hear your opinion on, is they said that the number one criticism that they found in their research 
with ESG is that they often hear that it's too difficult to do or to implement inside a company. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I think we can make it difficult uh, if we want to, but I don't think we have to. In my mind, ESG is a starting point. It's nothing more than a reporting framework. Um, so you you can start wherever you are and begin to take steps towards a really robust report, but you don't have to overcomplicate it. When, when it comes to this work, it's progress, not perfection. I love that. So, so what you're saying is regardless of where a company is today, they can take the ESG framework and start plugging in some data based off of what they're already doing to kind of see how they're stacking up and how well they're doing. That's exactly right. And you don't even necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. GRI is a big global standard, but there is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board or SASB, and they've already done the work to help people figure out what metrics are relevant for their industry. So you can use that to whittle down what's important. You can also benchmark your competitors um, or thought leaders in your space and look at what they're doing. And from there you say, what do we already have that we can work from? And where are the opportunities that we're falling behind from a competitive standpoint that we need to start addressing? So it sounds like the tools are there it is the difficult part then where McKinsey is saying it's difficult for organizations to do it. Then does it have to do with internally within the organization, someone owning it, being accountable, taking the lead and saying, we're going this direction. Is that where there's a mismatch? Yeah, it's a lot like probably most of the other HR initiatives that our, that our leaders are working towards. If it's done properly, it's not one specific person leading it in the organization, but it requires alignment across all functional areas. And so typically the HR leader, it sounds like, is the person who's the key facilitator. So they're not doing it alone, but they need to be working hand in hand with leaders within operations, on sales teams, marketing teams, so on and so forth. Yes, absolutely. The way I usually think about it is the CEO helps set the vision and strategy. Then the finance team is responsible for thinking about their social impact metrics along the same lines as they would the remaining uh, priorities, the remaining reporting that they do. HR then helps understand how this work flows down to their people operations, make sure that they're operating ethically and everybody's in alignment and understanding the processes that the organization brings. And then lastly, marketing tells the story of the truth that's happening within the organization. But it has to happen with everybody sort of pulling in the right direction and in the same direction, or else the message gets confused. And it's a report that's 200 pages long that doesn't mean anything to anybody. And you've helped solve that, haven't you, Dora, with your aspirational business model? Yes, an aspirational business model is very similar to what I just walked you through. So how do you set that vision for alignment and how do you hold yourself accountable? And then how do you bring it out to the various um, functional areas? I found a quote, Dora. I, I sent it over the article to uh, Jason the other day. I, I actually wrote this and sometimes I shock myself. I go, I actually wrote that. I, I saw that. Where'd that come from? But it was on Forbes and and the article was, I was called Four Dumb Things Smart Leaders Say and What You Can Learn From Them. And this one was about people are our most important asset and, and you hang it up there as a message. And and I guess ESG will will follow up there too, that, hey, we branded it, you know, this is this is delegated. But in there, there was a quote from uh, Sue Siegel, and she's the former 
uh, CEO of GE Ventures and also the chief uh, innovation officer of GE. She's on the, some other things. But she's, she, her quote was, you can't delegate culture. Mm. And when you were talking about who's responsible for ESG is you can't delegate ESG either. either. And, and, she, and she went on to further explain that people are motivated by purpose, purpose fuels passion, passion creates the energy to deliver results, that energy transforms people and unlocks and so on. And it fits into what Jason and I talk about and you as well as helping people live their purpose, discover their why, you know, and we're going to be talking about why Institute in, in, in just a few minutes. But again, just that short you know, four words, you can't delegate culture. You can't delegate ESG. It's not an HR thing. It's not a marketing thing. Uh, it's not a finance thing. It's a, it, it, well, it's, it's a, it, it is the culture. It is their mission. It has to be their passion. You're absolutely right. I could not agree with that, with that statement or your interpretation of how that aligns with ESG more. Dora, are there some organizations that are doing ESG really well? I know a lot of times leaders will ask me, well, you're saying this is the stuff we need to do. Can you show me a role model of a group that's figured it out so that maybe we can avoid some of those pitfalls and traps along the way? Are there certain organizations you're aware of that are doing ESG really well that would be good for our business leaders to look toward? Yes. So one of my absolute favorites is Nike. So if you have listeners that are in the uh, in in the uh, B2C space, Nike is an incredible organization to look at, particularly when you consider how they've evolved in their uh, diversity and equity lens. So you could say in 2017, you may remember when they literally had employees picketing out front because of a hostile workplace. Um, and you can, I mean, I still remember all of the news articles. And if you go and read the annual report, from that year, the CEO literally, it, it says something to the effect of, well, crap, we've got a problem. And then you can see from that moment on where they started to take efforts to say, this isn't part of who we are as a culture, to your point, Ira. This is, this is not who we aspire to be. And they, re, they reworked their tagline. So it became inspiration and, uh, uh, what is it? Inspiration and innovation for every athlete. And then an asterisk. And the asterisk is, if you have a body, you are an athlete. And from there, then they began to do pay equity assessments. They, pay, they began to look at how their hiring practices could be adapted to make sure that they were increasing diversity. They started innovating their products to be more appropriate for people of different abilities. They started to advocate for pay equity in the sporting arenas in which their athletes were competing. All of these things, you can see it across every single functional area. And so then when you look at the advertisements that started to come out from Nike in 2019 and 2020, it wasn't some aspirational story that, that was a failure to align with their culture. It wasn't greenwashing. It was a perfect celebration of the work that they had done internally. And they continue to move that forward. And I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful to watch that that complete cultural turnaround in just just five short years, it's almost hard to wrap your head around. That fits so well into uh, something that Jason and I keep talking about. And again, everybody focuses on creating a corporate culture or company culture, and you have the strategy meetings and you get the messaging and we get the posters and we and we get the taglines and we have everybody wear their badge, you know, it, it's on everything. 
except that to me, and, and I was trying to prepare, a, do a, pre a presentation yesterday, prepare for a presentation of how to better explain that creating a culture doesn't necessarily create a good employee experience. You mm. may do all the right things, but one is almost like the blueprint. It's, it's if you look at the, that house being built and you see the culture being built, but it's not a home yet. It's not a home until somebody moves in and and truly lives there, not just sleeps there and eats there, but truly lives there. And that's the measurement. And it and it sounds like this fits into that kind of analogy, that metaphor, the similarly that that people will come up and and they'll they'll write the governance, they'll have a great strategy meeting. Um, their hearts may be in the right place, their intentions may be in the right place, on, but until they walk the talk, until they live it, until they do what you just explained that Nike did, uh, it's it's just another thing that you do. Mm, yes, you're you're right. And if if you have a, a strategy that people are not empowered, well, let me back up. If you have a strategy that first people don't understand, they're not going to be able to bring it to life. If they don't have the skills and the competencies to do what you're asking them to do, then that's going to be a problem. And if they're not empowered and they come up with an innovation that meets your ESG strategy, but they're not in a position to move it down the road, then it's going to be a failure too. So it really is about the proof. You know, show me the receipts that you're doing what you say you're going to do. And that's where the reporting side of ESG comes in. It's really just showing your receipts. Well, we're at that time where we need to take a quick break. Uh, we appreciate it. We're talking with Dora Lutz from Giving Spring. We're talking about the aspirational business. We're talking about ESG, environmental and social governance, uh, having a great conversation and it fits so well into everything that we're talking about. And again, such, a, such an incredibly important topic. So we're going to be back. Dora, when we come back, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about aspirational business okay. uh, from that standpoint. I know that's your book uh, and we'll we want everybody to stay tuned. Uh, we will be back in two minutes. Uh, we're going to hear from Y Institute. We're so excited about having them as our partner. I know Dora is familiar with them as well. And we're going to hear a little bit more about AQ+. So stay tuned, everybody. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get out of jail free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe 
who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion, a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers, that knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs, a coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? Welcome back to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. In that article that I quoted, um, I had all these little nuggets and I don't know where I, it was one of those maybe shower moments where I came up with this quote, but it was most managers probably know more about how much battery they have in their smartphone on any given day than they know about their employees. Mm. So for everybody just heard, uh, listened about not only AQ plus, but why is the why to discover your why in under five minutes, 10, maybe 15 questions, depending on how you answer the first few, you can learn about how your employees, why they do what they do, and how to keep their batteries charged, which fits so well into our conversation about ESG. Because if you have people that are powered by contributing, by making things better, by challenging the status quo, uh, which are just three of the whys, and they happen to be my whys, uh, that's incredibly important. And you can find that out in just five minutes. Uh, so if you want to learn more about why and our AQ Plus Mindset Program, you can go to adaptabilitytoolkit.com. Check it out. Uh, if you have any questions, if you are a coach or a consultant and you'd like to learn more, please reach out to Jason or me and we'll we'll make some connections. We'll talk about the program. And if you're interested in getting certified, uh, we'll make the referral of, over to Y Institute. Dora, you wrote your book, The Aspirational Business. I don't know if that, that was an evolution of, of that or that was the inspiration, but I think one is people aspire to have a business and everybody aspires to have their business grow but your aspirational business is beyond that. It goes a little bit beyond just, I just wanna make more money and I wanna own my own business. Yes. Yeah, I think when you consider the way, you know, businesses are already designed to create value. So what you just described, Ira, in my world is somebody saying, I'm gonna do something and I'm gonna create value either for myself or for my customers or for my family. You know, I, I'm doing it because I want, to, to do something meaningful. And, and we operationalize that through our businesses. And so when we start to talk about aspirational businesses, it's really thinking bigger into the ability of our businesses to address some of society's most pressing issues. And that can be whatever the leader feels is most important to him or her personally that their stakeholders choose to engage with. Um, so the aspirational business for me, I, I tend to like to anchor in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals because those are uh, challenges that, that the entire human race is facing that go beyond environmental sustainability into a variety of issues that most people can figure out where their businesses already anchor and then from there start to create plans to bring it to life. So where do, where do we get started? Um, you know, I'm sure we have a lot of small, again, large enterprises are, are a little bit more connected to this, but small, medium-sized businesses, privately owned businesses, they 
this is something they've been thinking of doing. They've always been part of the community. They contributed to part of the community. They do what they can, but they want to they want to up their game. They want to take it to a new level. Uh, what's an engagement look like if they pick up the phone and they call you? Where, where does it start? What do they need to be prepared for? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So if somebody's really new to this and they're still trying to decide if it's right for them, I have a downloadable uh, journal that somebody can work through for a few weeks. I've got podcasts available on my website, things that they can do just to get themselves thinking about the content a little more deeply. But if they say, okay, we know that we're behind our competitors or or we just had a, a big client ask us for our data and we don't know where to start. Usually I like to start with an assessment that just says what's happening in the landscape. So first off, what are, what are best practices in your industry? What are your competitors doing? Where are there opportunities that are strategic for your organization? And what are critical issues that you need to address right now um, that could hurt you if you don't start thinking about them? And then we then we do a leadership assessment too, because if you've got one person in the C-suite who thinks that this is just a load of junk, we got to figure out how to address that before we start putting together a report or it's going to fall flat on its face if we are not in, a, in alignment as a, as a as a leadership team. Dora, we're coming up toward the end and we're going to have our lightning round in a second, but we always have one of our, our, our favorite question is what's something that we should have asked you, mm. but didn't? Hmm. Well, you know, the one thing that you didn't ask that I think is a really compelling point is, is how we know that this isn't going away. Uh, and Jason, you mentioned it even in your original question. You know, I agree with you. I don't think that consumers are going to suddenly show up and say, hey, I need the cheapest thing and I don't care what it does to the environment anymore. We have more visibility. We have more data. We have more expectations of leaders uh, than we used to. So I think that's, you know, personally my perspective. If you look at it just from market size, this is a $27 trillion market. So there is a lot of money in this space. It's growing at 20% per year, um, you know, either as a social entrepreneur saying, I'm going to figure out how to do this so that we have purpose baked in from the start or retrofitting your, your organization to make sure that it's really, really embedded in the culture. It's going to be an important part of accessing that pool of money. And, and if we look at the trends, the one is that uh, 72% of the workforce is going to be millennials and Gen Z, and it has been a priority for them, uh, even more so with, with each younger generation. And we also look at uh, how many new workers are coming into workforce, and, and people have heard me talk about this with Perfect Labor Storm, is we used to have 2.5 million new workers come into the workforce every year, especially with the baby boomers and then the millennials, and now we have under 500,000 new workers. So uh, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's going to maybe the only thing you can do if you want to attract and retain workers in the future. Oh, that's such a good point. Well, Dora, I can't believe that the time has gone by so quickly. If it's okay with you, let's get into our lightning round where we can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Okay, I'm ready. All right, here we go. We'll start off with a with a simpler one. Let's let's talk a little bit about music. Who's your favorite musical artist? Oh my gosh! Right now, I'm listening to the Dispatch on uh, on Spotify. They have a song called "Only the Wild Ones," and I cannot get enough of that song right now. That doesn't surprise me. You seem like you would be a wild one in terms of disrupting uh, the purpose <laughs> of business. So I'm sure that gets you amped up before you go into some ESG meetings with clients. 
Yeah, you know what? I, the tagline is uh, only the wild ones give you something and never want it back. And so I don't know, there must be something in that line that's resonating with me. I love it. I love it. How about a superpower? If you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? Connecting people. I love to figure out what people need and help help connect them to others in the ecosystem or have the answers or resources that they need. I love that. And then how about what would be something that your uh, classmates, let's think back to high school, what's something they would be surprised to see about Dora Lutz today? <laughs> that I can do math. Um, <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time looking at data and spreadsheets and obsessing about like really how these numbers work. I've spent a lot of time proving to myself that this is viable. And I don't think that uh, high school Dora would have would have acknowledged or thought that I that I would do so much, uh, so much math in my life. I love I that. Love how about, uh, how about a hidden talent? Do you have a hidden talent? Gosh. Hmm. I can remember strange things about people. Like if you tell me something really unique and awkward, I will almost never forget it. I think that's probably my, my unique talent. So note to self, anyone who meets Dora, be careful what you share because <laughs> fortunately, I usually only ask nice questions. <laughs> I'm sure you do. That's awesome. And how about this last one? What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? I think the best advice that I have ever received is that nobody is waiting to give you permission. So if you have something you want to do, go do it, figure it out. Um, Cause there's nobody who's going to say, yes, you should go do it. You just have to take that first step yourself. I love that. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. <laughs> Laura, thank true. you so much for coming on today's show and helping all of us better understand ESG, why it's important and why we're headed this direction. Before we let you go, just one more time, what are some ways that people can get in touch with you? and learn more about your book and your model and your work that you're doing around ESG. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So I think there are two primary resources. My website, which is giving-spring.com. And uh, I have all kinds of things we mentioned earlier up there. And then also anybody who'd like to follow me on LinkedIn, I put a lot of content up around ESG. Uh, no BS, ESG is one of my favorite series that I'm doing. And I'm always available if somebody just needs help getting their their head around what they should be doing next. I'm always up for a call. And that fits so well into our no BS culture. <laughs> yes. No <laughs> time for that. Yeah. Our, our, our BS is, is no BS, but it's also no burnout and stress. So. Oh, that's good, too. <laughs> that's good. Dora, thank you so much. And we'll look forward to having you on again in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Dora. Appreciate right. it. Ira, what was some of the, the big moments and takeaways from today's episode for you that you heard from Dora? Can't say I'm the, on the skeptical side because I, I really believe, I believe in climate change and, and I believe that things, we need to change things socially. Uh, and obviously that starts with governance. And I, I've been on enough boards of directors that there was always governance and they basically gave lip service to, to everything else. It was almost what was practical. What but I, I didn't understand the depth of it. And I, I won't say I'm embarrassed by it, but coming into this, I really had to prepare more for, for Dora than I did most other interviews to do some research. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I live this, it means a lot to me, but it, like everything else, it just sort of took a back seat. And so it was just a really good opportunity to, to force myself, wanted to learn about it, but then uh, hear from someone like Dora, who's, whose heart is absolutely in this and passion's in it. 
and 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 be able to learn from her. And I hope uh, our listeners did too. So I it, it just was really elevating it and opening my mind and and forcing me to take some time to to learn about something that's really important. And and again, like so many other people, not just giving it lip service. That was very similar for me too. Um, I mean, I did not understand that there were metrics already available out there that were readily available so that any organization, regardless of size, you can plug in what you already have and it'll help you understand where you stack up in the ESG areas. Um, that was something brand new to me. I almost thought it was like an exclusive club, like you need to apply or you need to be a certain size in order to get to the, the yeah. poker table and play ESG. But having an expert like Dora come in and say, no, this is for everybody because this has to do not only with the business, but the people inside the business, the ecosystem and how you really create a healthy, sustainable organization. And I mean, it just gets me excited, Ira, because this is so aligned with what we're trying to do, too, in creating healthy connections between people and work and understanding that there is a, a framework out there, regardless of where you're at that you can go take those tools and bring them in-house and start figuring it out is great. But the other thing that was enlightening to me also was she mentioned that the reason in McKinsey, most organizations, even though they have the tools available, are struggling with it is once they got the tools, they're figuring out what to do. And that's where bringing in an expert like Dora can help you get that uh, ship steered in the right direction and make sure that you're getting the right internal champions on board first. Because as she mentioned, and you mentioned it too, Ira, you can't delegate culture. Um, it's, it's an all hands on deck approach. So those were the things for me that really stood out and that I'll remember from today's episode. And I guess what blew me away was $17 trillion. It's a $17 trillion industry. I mean, that's that's mind blowing, you know, from there. And, and by the way, I thought you were going to say shift steered. So... <laughs> So well, that, that could be one of our new our, our new metaphors and acronyms or taglines, right? We're gonna. I had to articulate very carefully so that we didn't get the E rating uh, for yeah, explicit yeah, on today's. Yeah, so we're helping people steer shift, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we'll be very careful with that. But it is time to wrap up again, Jason. Amazing. Yep, it absolutely is. And we want to thank you again, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. Thank you, especially for helping us on this road of making it into the top one percent of all podcasts in the world. That's because of you. It's because of our incredible guests like Dora. Um, it's because of our partners at the People Forward Network. We couldn't be more thrilled um, to have all of you on this journey with us. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to give the show a rating, drop us a review, or even subscribe to the podcast, we'd love for you to do so. So until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ivor Wolf, and we want to give special thanks to Y Institute for partnering with us to, and sponsoring this episode and all the upcoming episodes that we've got. Uh, you'll hear a lot more about them. I'm sure uh, we have a webinar coming up also in a few weeks, uh, so stay tuned for that announcement. We want to thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs> <laughs>